Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 today. Last week, I did something a little unusual. Um, I, I kind of came to the pulpit with a story for him, and I'd made up my mind I will do that for the Holy Week Sunday and then for the Lord's Day today, Easter. So I'm going to be in a story form, and I hope I can draw you a picture that will help us. I think sometime we read the scripture and we know the scripture, but I think sometime we miss so much in the spirit realm of it that we read past it. I want to try to draw a picture in your mind. I'm going to ask you that you pay attention on purpose, stay with the story, and make the transitions that I try to make to preach the Lord's word. I have had this privilege for 44 years since I was a young man, and 33 and a half of them have been here, and I declare to you, I love you dearly. Amen. Thank you. First Corinthians, I'll let you remain seated. First Corinthians 15, Paul, the great apostle, by inspiration of the Spirit, speaks these words, writes these words. This is for this generation. This isn't for 2,000 plus years ago. This is for today. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable or miserable. But now Christ, share that word, next word with me. What is it? But now Christ, come on, say it with a little enthusiasm. But now Christ is risen from the dead. He declares it as a fact and has become the first fruits, a powerful word, of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man meeting Adam in the garden, since by man came death, by man meeting Christ also come the resurrection of the dead. And here it is, verse 22, for as in Adam all die. Even so, in Christ, all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, notice this verse. I say this clearly. I say this, stay with me. Not everybody that dies goes to heaven. We get sympathetic and we get mushy about it, but I want to tell you this life is a preparation for the next life. Listen to verse 23. But each one in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, first resurrection, Afterward, those who are Christ's, positive, or apostrophe S, those who belong, those who are possessions of Christ at his coming. And the scripture teaches us that when he comes, those that are in him in the grave will come forth, and we which are alive and remain will be changed, and we're all going to be sent to the glory world forever. I'm looking forward to the day, aren't you? Here's my story. Follow me. Morning light was breaking around the walls in Jerusalem. There were guards placed about a sepulcher in a small garden near the walls of that city. The guards were there gathering, guarding a tomb. However, they were not guarding a grave to keep the thieves outside. These guards were guarding a grave to keep the deceased dead. I've been waiting all week to say that. 
Strange scenes have occurred since last Friday. While a man taken from the hills of Galilee has been hung on a cross, strange signs in the heavens and in the earth and over in the temple have been going on. It was rumored that this crucified rabbi teacher said he would rise again on the third morning and the third morning is coming. And as that morning light began to break in that east side, three women came sadly and silently. Watch this, winding their way through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tents that were pitched all around that city. For it was Passover celebration. Thousands were camped everywhere around Jerusalem for the Passover. These three women came to this tomb carrying spices. They loved the man that had been crucified. They loved him because of his goodness. They loved him because of his purity. They loved him because of his compassion. How many in this room this morning love him for his goodness and his purity and his compassion? <laughs> Thank the Lord he was good. These three seemed to be the only hearts that loved him deeply except for a small circle of friends who were now all afraid for their lives because their leader was dead. They had cursed him. Curses were shouted at him as he hung on the cross. Curses from bystanders and soldiers and people all around. They cried away with him, crucify him. So this morning, only these three dare to come to this grave. Now, 2,000 plus years, days have come and gone, and this morning on the anniversary of that day, the morning of the first day of the week, the Sabbath after the full moon and the uh, vernal equinox, this day, still today, the whole world comes to visit that grave, whether physically in Jerusalem or whether we visit today in celebration of its emptiness. The eyes of princes and statesmen, the eyes of the poor and the humble, the eyes of humanity in all parts of the earth are turned toward that tomb again this morning. Ladies and gentlemen, all over Europe, all over the Western lands, all over China, all over the African continent, all over mountains and valleys and broad prairies and deep ravines and canyons and rivers, the eyes and the hearts and the thoughts of people are gathered around that Grave. They have heard about that grave. No other such grave has got such attention. No other has divided time from before and after. Your clock this morning ticks. Your, your newspaper is dated. Your computer is dated. All because this man changed past into present. And he's the one who controls the future. 
Muhammad didn't do that, and, and Confucius couldn't do it, and neither could any despot or dictator. Only the man that was the son of God can change time. The world has heard about this grave. The song of Jubilee has gone forth since that time. Tidings of joy have covered this earth, and valleys ring with the praises, and mountains are shaking with hallelujahs. Even in the midst of this evil present corruption, hearts are singing, just like Revelation said, from every nation, every kindred, every tribe, every tongue, praises will be heard for this Savior, and this morning is the morning to praise him. Hallelujah. Praise his name. New shoes, more new shoes are purchased for this day than any other. New dresses are done. I, I wish we'd get back, ladies, to the hats. I love ladies in hats. I don't see any, but if you have one, I love it. Oh, yes, I did. I saw one this morning. I don't see it now. I like the hats. Colorful clothing. I even wore a tie today. You know, we preachers got liberated two or three, four years ago, whatever. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, the daffodil and the lily and the field flowers bloom. The trees are budding and the leaves are coming forth. Why? Why this change in that morning and its anniversary 2,000 plus years later? Why? What has provided such a wonderful feeling? What has, what has stirred the delight in the souls and the hearts and the minds of humanity? From whence all this? It's all because of one word. That word is resurrection. Generation 2021, his word was and is and shall forever be absolute truth. Amen. And the eyes and the hearts and the minds and thoughts of people have caught a glimpse of this risen sovereign who ascends to the glory in heaven and he's our promise for a future. The crucified, once cursed, is now honored. The obscure and the one despised is now sought for. The rejected redeemer has now been worshipped. Today, we look at some facts about the resurrection. And after that, I want to look at some consequences of the resurrection. I just want to do this in story form. I want this generation to understand. I'm not going to give you deep theology. I might not be capable. I may not be able to stir all the dogma or the doctrine, but I can tell you the story, and I want to make it plain today. Follow the picture. Look at some of the facts and some of the consequences. Let me declare up front the fact of, of resurrection is the foundation of the Christian faith. Paul said, if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sin without remedy. Paul said, if Christ is not risen, our believing loved ones departed from us and they have perished forever. Paul said, if Christ has not been risen, you will never again see father, mother, grandparent who have fallen asleep. Paul said, if Christ be not risen, then our little ones, when they die young, we believe they are in the arms of the angels, and I do believe it. But Paul said, without a resurrection, that will not happen. 
If Christ be not risen, we are miserable creatures. We have no hope. We have genuine no future. And listen, if you think changes in leadership through the centuries have ever brought us freedom and liberty, look at the shape of our world today. Paul said, if Christ is not risen, there is no hope, but Christ is risen. And we who are in Christ will someday also rise again. And because Christ is risen, those who are in sleep in Jesus, will he will bring with them. Ladies and gentlemen, our loved ones in the grave and we who remain, Christ is going to bring us in the second resurrection. And I can hardly wait. Praise his name. Praise his name. So for the facts, I wish I were attorneys like you guys. I wish, let me try. Please don't grade me. <laughs> I want to talk about Christ's death and the evidence just a minute. If Christ's death was not clearly established, it would be in vain to try to prove his resurrection. Christ could have suffered in some obscure place where very few knew it, or ever saw it. Christ could have laid down his life as ransom without legal documented evidence. So the wrath of man against this holy son of God became the means of praising the risen Lord. God arranged Christ to go through the then legal process he was the first accused and arrested by the Jewish council. He was arrested by the Roman authority and the Roman consulate and the Roman governor. So the matter would become a public record <laughs> recorded as a legal transaction. Rome had signed it and sealed it. The highest powers, this Jewish council and this Roman government, united in his arrest, they united in his trial, they united in his condemnation to death, they united in his execution. Ladies and gentlemen, the death of the Son of God, the Christ, is an established, legal, documented fact. You cannot take it out of history. So try to disclaim it and say he swooned all you want. I could just go have 10 points there. It was documented. Number two, the time of the occurrence of his death. At Passover, when all the Jews, as I said, had come to Jerusalem, let me take you all the way back to the Exodus, when God's people were for 400 years in slavery in Egypt, and it was time to move them on to the Canaan land, and God sent the plagues, and the Pharaoh would not recognize it. Finally read it. God sent the death angel, and he told the Jews, you destroy a spotless lamb, Take the blood of that lamb, put it over the doorpost, the mantle of your house. For this night, the death angel will pass over and every firstborn male will be destroyed. But if you put that blood over your doorpost, the death angel will pass over you. And that's what I did when I was five years old. And I have news for the devil. You may come and you may have power, but my soul and my spirit, you cannot destroy. For the blood of Christ has sealed me forever. 
That's a picture of the lamb that would come to be the Christ. That's a picture of the blood that he would shed. And every year, the Jews celebrated it. And here they are celebrating Passover. And at Passover, not only just from Israel, but from all the countries through which they were scattered, it was the time of the full moon, and a great multitude would witness that death and that resurrection, and God arranged it. Thirdly, look at the form of death. Not a sudden death, but a death of torture that lasted for hours and hours. Hanging on a hillside on a cross. Those dreadful hours from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. But watch this, the form. The death was near a city, near Jerusalem, the temple worship was in full progress. The beaten, bludgeoned body of the Christ had carried the cross from the city all the way to Golgotha down the Via Della Rosa. That's why he can identify with every pain and sorrow, everything you and I go through. Ladies and gentlemen, he knows about human suffrage. It's near the city. The worship, the tradition was in progress. A stream of visitors, men and women, children. Listen, the very ones whom Jesus had touched and healed. There were fathers there that had been cursed with leprosy and Jesus had healed them. There were mothers there that Jesus gave great dignity to. One of the three that come, will come this morning is Mary Magdalene, who was a harlot and possessed of devils. He changed her eternity and life forever. There are many of those who had blinded eyes that Jesus had touched and healed. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, they passed by, wagged their heads, waved their hands, and reviled with their mouth words like, he saved others, but himself he cannot save. What a scene. What an opportunity that God arranged. Yes, the multitudes would watch and witness. It was that form of death God chose. And consider one final thing about the facts. It invited universal attention. Not only was his arrest made public, not only was he witnessed by multitudes, but in addition, God called on the heavens, the earth, the air, the graves, the temple for testimony. What do you mean, Pastor? Let me share something with you. In olden Europe times, Three days before the coronation of a new king, a herald would go out and give a challenge to anyone who could prove the right to take the throne or right to rule in the kingdom. And perhaps it was just that such a challenge that God gave to the powers of all humanity and to the powers of all darkness. What genuine, powerful, eternal claim could you possibly have upon my son? 
I just love that thought, don't you? Here's God. Here's God's son hanging on a tree, suffering for human woe. God is about to crown him the king of kings and lord of lords. On the third morning, he sends forth his voice. God sent his voice to challenge all claims. And when he speaks, the scripture records, history records all of it. The earth shook, rocks and the mountains shook, the ground convulsed at the voice of God. It was a call to humanity, to this earth, to witness what was about to occur. Not only did God's voice shake this planet, the scripture says and history says the sun clothed himself in sackcloth for three hours, a blackness and a darkness on the earth that spoke about a dreadful silence. But not only on the earth and not only in the heavens, but watch this, yonder in a valley known as the tombs of the prophets where hillsides are filled with resting places of the Old Testament prophets. They have been buried there. Visitors are walking through its corridors. They are looking at the graves. Perhaps someone says, there is a grave of a mighty judge of the Old Testament. There is the tomb of a major prophet and can you imagine being there and suddenly God's voice shakes this place and the tombs are open and the prophecy of the Old Testament prophet came true in a second. The Old Testament prophet said, hear O sons of men and they heard and they responded and that grave erupted in openness. What a scene. What could all that mean? This is no ordinary story. <laughs> this is a supernatural story. These last three days especially, what does all this mean? And it's 3 p.m. The greatest sacrifice is being offered and Christ died. The promised seed, Genesis 3, the promised seed of Eve, had finally, after 4,000 years, arrived to put under his feet forever the enemy of your soul and my soul. The outer court was full. The doors of the sanctuary were, were crowded in that worship. The lamb was before the altar outside. And the priest had washed himself and he was dressed in his vestments and he had the sacrificial knife to take the blood of the spotless lamb as they had done for 4,000 years as a symbol and a type of the Christ who would come in his purity and be slain. And here he is. Suddenly, ladies and gentlemen, 4,000 years comes to a climax and suddenly the blood was to be splashed at 3 o'clock and a multitude looks on. Remember this, just a few feet away on the outside altar, this priest will destroy this spotless lamb, but over in the holy place is a veil that has hung for centuries to divide man from God because sin cannot be in the presence of God. 
That veil, they tell us, was some 18 inches thick made with hides. That veil hides the inner sanctuary where the presence of God dwells. There are cherubim with wings spread out over that mercy seat. God's Shekinah glory, once the cloud of glory would come and set up on that mercy seat. And the children of Israel camped three on the east side, three on the west side, three tribes on the south, three tribes on the north. That's why when the psalmist said in Psalm 91, he that dwelleth in the secret place, he was talking about that center, he that dwelleth in the secret place shall abide under that Shekinah glory shadow, meaning be in the presence of God and they would be safe and they would have direction and God protect them. He would go before them with that ark and destroy every enemy. It's all a picture of the life God wants you and I to live today since the lamb has come. All of it's ready. No one enters that veil except the high priest and once a year with the blood of the spotless lamb and in the midst of incense and only one time a year and three o'clock arrives. The priest takes the sacrificial knife and starts to strike the lamb, but he hears a sound over in the sanctuary. I'm not much of a good sound guy. But God tore that veil from top to bottom. You know what that means? Man couldn't tear it. Try it. They didn't have giant machines like today. 18 inches thick of leather hides. Let me tell you, God tore that veil from the top to the bottom to say now you don't have to destroy this lamb. You don't have to come every year. You don't have to go through all the Passover ritual. I've sent my lamb. He's dead. Don't destroy another lamb. This blood of my lamb, my son, will cover the sin of men for the rest of this earthly journey. And he once for all covered my sin. When that unseen hand takes that veil and rips it, now the mercy seat for the first time in centuries is open to man. You don't need a pastor or a priest. You don't need anybody. But you can come because you're invited personally to the holiest of holies. The cherub are on the ark the altar, the blood is there. The ark is there with the celestial and terrestrial beings about it. It's the holy place. It's the most holy place. Let me use my imagination. I think it's pretty accurate. I think the priest dropped the sacrificial knife. The scripture says the one inside that saw the torn veil fell on his face. I wonder what you'd do if God ripped an 18-inch veil in front of you. <laughs> Imagine. You see, we read over this, we, well, that's, ladies and gentlemen, this is history. It's when God visits the planet. I see that priest drop that knife. I see the little lamb drop and run free. How many of you are glad you're free? How many of you are glad you're born again? How many of you are glad that Satan can't sacrifice you? The way, the way to the Holy of Holies is open. And it's an opening that men cannot close. There is given unto man 
One name in heaven and earth whereby men can enter the Holy of Holies. And it's the name Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Sorry, Hollywood. Rulers, I guess. Sorry, all of you who think you're above and beyond this gospel. You may be sincere, but you're sincerely wrong if you think that there's 10, 20, or 100 ways. There's only one way. It's Jesus Christ and through his blood. And I will not be ashamed to say it till my dying day. Now, can I say now the oppressed, now the downtrodden, and now the lowly, and now those who are rich and those who are poor from all the parts of the earth can find their way to the mercy seat, and you and I can find the fountain like the thief did on his side. He plunged himself beneath that flow. I preached last Sunday. Jesus said, no man take it from me. I lay it down. It is not spilled blood. It's poured forth on purpose, but the sinners can plunge beneath that flood and lose all their guilty stain. For the Lamb was slain from the foundation of the earth prophesied for 4,000 years and it happened on Easter Sunday morning. The suffering from mankind was over. The scripture says once for all he gave himself for sin. I hear him say on that cross it is finished. So he's placed in the tomb his friends have given him up. They're scared. The disciples have forsaken him. They return to their former employee. But, but I'll tell you something. Sometimes unbelievers can, can seem like they have more power. If they can control the finance and they can control the, 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 the mobs, and the militaries and the bombs, they think they have power. And the magistrates and the powers of that day, the enemies remembered something that this prophet had said, that he would rise back to life on the third day. And because of that, they placed guards where we started at that tomb. And I want to just say it again because it took me all week to think of it. They were there to keep the dead, deceased dead. The Roman soldiers were there. The king's seal was put on the stone. Everything was secure. Guards, seals, warriors. God ordered every bit of it for an abundant proof of Christ's crucifixion and his burial. But watch this. We're about to walk into a whole new territory. You ready? Though the soldiers knew it not, heaven began to gather around that grave. You see, there's a spirit world that you and I can't see with our physical eye, but let me tell you, it's as real as it can be. Go back and ask a guy in the Old Testament called Gehazi. He was Elisha's, his, Elisha's servant, and he was scared to death because thousands were encamped about him, and Elijah had prayed, and he said, what are we going to do? They're outnumbered. And the old prophet said, Lord, take the blinders off his physical eyes and let him look into the spirit world. And he said, there were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of the Lord of the host encamped about, way outnumbering the enemy. And on another time, God promised that he would win a war, and David 
David said, Lord, they're outnumbering us a hundred to one. What are we going to do? And he said, I'll send my angels before you. And David said, how am I going to know that they're there and running out in front of us? And Listen, sometimes the physical, sometimes the spirit world, you can, you can pick it up in the natural world. And God said, when you hear the sounds of a rushing mighty wind on the top of the mulberry trees, you'll know that my host has gone before you. <laughs> Heaven started gathering around that grave. The angels have been watching those Roman soldiers. They've seen their sharp spears. They've seen the polished shield. They've seen all the armor. They know about all their training. The angels have seen Christ now held as a prisoner by the greatest powers on earth. But it's the third day. I think I see an angelic host gathering around the throne of God. I think I see this angelic host looking in the face of omnipotence in the glory world. I think I hear this angelic host ask, remember this, how long shall man triumph? How long shall human power exalt itself? How long shall the powers of darkness hold jubilee? Let us roll that stone away. Let us have the Roman guards. Father, command us. And they waited until permission was given, but it was. I see the angel come down from the threshold of the glory world, whisked by the Jerusalem wall down to a tomb. When those soldiers heard him coming, I think they shook and became as dead men, just like they did a week before. The angel just rolls a stone away, and if you let me have a little, just a, just a smidgen of sarcasm, I think I just, what the angels say, I'm rolling this thing away, away, and all you soldiers, just so you know, there's not one thing you can do about it. I'm sure that's flesh. And then he just sets himself beside the mouth of the tomb. And inside, Christ girds himself with the power of divinity. He walks out of that grave. He goes into the center of the earth and sets captivity free. And he tears the crown and the rulership of death and the grave away from the devil. What a moment for you and me. Then he arose. He was, hell was celebrating its jubilee. The powers of the earth were preparing for its triumph. We've got him. We've got him sealed. We've got him dead. Enough with this troubler. But can I go back and just touch the old hymn? But up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph or his foes. <laughs> he became the first fruits of those that sleep. However, God, in order to give ample proofs of this resurrection, he caused the Christ to live on earth to be seen of men. Those three, the 12, 
500, you can go on and count, for 40 days in his resurrected body, God allowed his son to be all about Jerusalem everywhere so he could be witnessed as resurrected. Look at some results. I'll be quick, I promise. Number one, the resurrection. The consequence was it established all Bible doctrine. 4,000 years of prophecy had been fulfilled to the letter just like God said. And let's go over to this day and time you and I live in because the prophet says that in our day and time, they will also say, where is the promise of his coming? But because all the days and the years and all the things pass, just like all the fathers, let me tell you where the promise of his coming is. The promise of his coming is alive in your heart and mine because he came, he said he'd come the first time and did. And he said he's coming the second time. How many of you believe he will? <laughs> proof of all the decorations of the gospel. Secondly, a proof of Christ's divine power. All those human powers, all the earth of all hell, the grave, the spirit loss, the darkness all combined could not keep Christ out of that grave. He was the divine power, praise his name. And third thing, that this Resurrection gave a consequence. It was a pledge of my and your own resurrection. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. I pastored my first church and I put that as a big sign on the wall in the nursery. You'll get it. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. I think we ought to have fun in life, don't you? But ladies and gentlemen, don't miss it. Don't miss it. There's a resurrection coming. If Christ is the first fruits, then there is to be a glorious resurrection. And it was Paul again. He said, if this same spirit that raised Christ up from the dead dwell in you, that same spirit shall quicken your mortal body. As Christ, the first fruits, passed through the grave, went up to glory, so shall come forth the sleeping dust. In Asia, in Africa, in China, in Europe, in America, from mountaintops and valleys, the uprising of humanity will take place, and the Old Testament prophet saw that also. He called it a day when dust shall sing. You say, Pastor, I don't believe that. I feel sorry for you. I do, and I have the full measure of it. That's why I live in a horrible, horrible hour where evil prevails. But I want to tell you, not in the hearts of those that have been twice born. Not at all. I promise I'm going to try to end this. <laughs> Then, heaven begins to gather. Around the faithful saints. Angels have watched Earth's powers. Angels have been watching the rulers of 
this age, this day, the angelic host of God is watching everything on this planet today. I think I see an angelic host gathered around the throne of God again. I think I see the Son of God this time instead of the angels. The one seated at the right hand, turn and look in the face of omnipotence. I think I hear the Christ ask, how long shall man triumph? How long shall human power exalt itself? How long shall haughty men who are alive only by our power and our will and our provision, how long shall the powers of darkness hold jubilee? God, how long will you let that powerful dark world celebrate when your children are its suffering? How long will you make me the groom wait till I go get a bride? And the angels inquire with him, let us sound that trumpet, let us have the human powers. Let us go down and bring a bride for this groom. And today, at this moment, they wait that permission from God Almighty. So I want to say on this Easter Sunday morning, how many of you in this room are saved and you know you're saved? You're born again twice. Rejoice, blood, wash, saint. Dry up your tears. Take the worry out of your spirit. Cast down that, deep, that downcast look. You are a child of dust. And we, ladies and gentlemen, are an heir to the glory. We are children's blood-bought men and women, young people. And we await a crown and a mansion and a robe and a resurrection that can happen at any moment because of Easter Sunday. Well, praise his name. Hallelujah. He said, Pastor, that's just a story. Yes, it is, and it's real because it's recorded. God said, let's do it legal. Let's do it right. Let's make sure there's a record so that nobody can deny it. And you can doubt all you want. But I'm going to tell you, the last chapter says... We who have humbled ourselves and realized that we were lost and that we needed a God, that all of us to sin to come short of the glory of God, we realized that we needed a Savior. We owed a debt we could not pay, and He sent that Son, and He paid it. And today, rejoice, are you kidding? Won't be tearing the place apart. I think our voice should be heard again. Here's the last thing, and I'm through. What about you? If you're in this room and unconverted, if you're online and you have not made your calling and election sure, what about you? What about you? How long are you going to let the blindness of sin and a supernatural blindness be placed on this old sin-cursed world? How, how long are we going to let the powers of men rule? How many presidents do we have to try to realize that we don't have the answer? And you can take that politically if you want to, but it's been, I'm not talking about a few months, I'm talking about ever since I've been alive. 
There have been some good presidents, but I'm going to tell you, humanity doesn't have the answer to this planet. And let me just tell you, if this is the best it can ever be, we don't have a whole lot to look forward to. Because if you listen to all the whoremongering that's going on, everything evil is going to happen. Can I dare tell you, you that are unconverted, there is a man of sin that I believe is in the offing. His number is 666. Not everybody, just his number. I know where he's coming from. Don't know who he is, but I know he's alive. I believe he's alive right now. And I'm, I'm telling you, the world's set because of computers and powers and troubles. And, and, and we're building bombs, nuclear, all these things. If you think this world isn't a powder keg set for an explosion, think again. And it just marches on right to the prophecy of exactly what this book has said for centuries. Because its author is eternal. He gave his spirit to speak to men and they wrote it. All these authors in all these years, yet not one contradiction through the centuries. What more does it take for us to learn? I'm begging for your soul this morning. I've tried to tell you so many things about this story so you can believe. Online watching me, you don't know the atmosphere in this room, but I praise the Lord to touch you in your spirit where you are. If you're listening to this world and you're taking its value and you think this world is going to become a paradise on earth, you can think again. Adam and Eve had that 6,000 years ago. But I'm going to beg you to come to this Christ. I love your eternal soul. It's the reason I dedicated myself to be in the ministry. And I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer. Will you in this room bow your head with me? Those of you online, pray this prayer with me if you do not know the Lord and you want to know Him as Savior. True Lord Jesus, I need a Savior. The Holy Spirit has come. He's tapped me on the shoulder. Put a wooing and a drawing in my heart and my soul. And down in the deep parts of my own spirit, I know the word is true. I know Jesus was divine. I know that he is the Savior. And I know he's soon to come. Wash me, cleanse me, make me your child. Just as you were the first fruits of resurrection, so I commit my life to you that I might be fruits of the second resurrection. I give you my heart, Lord. I commit myself to serve you and follow you, not only as my Savior, but as Lord of my life. Teach me and lead me. And I thank you for saving me. I call it done in Jesus' name. Amen.